Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, today we are starting a new series. Are you guys excited? Are you excited? Are you ready? Okay, if you're ready, I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you in your like most ready voice say, let's go. <laughs> look at your other neighbor and say, let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, hi everyone. How you doing today? It is so good to be with you. I was looking around a little while before service. You guys look good today. For real. Most of you look good. Most of you look good. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna pray for us in just a moment, but before I do, I wanna I wanna begin by reading a passage. I actually taught from this passage a few months ago on our on the date of our 10-year anniversary. I read from this back in April. It comes from Leviticus 6, everyone's favorite book. Um, it says this: it says, Keep the fire on the altar burning. It must not go out. Replenish the wood for the fire every morning, arrange the whole burnt offering on it. And, the burn, and burn the fat of the peace offering on top of it all. So if you're following that, throw a little bit of peace on top of it all, right? Keep the fire burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. How many know today that it is not always easy to keep the fire burning? And I mean that, like we want it, that's our heart's desire, it's our intent, but it is not always easy. And I know for a lot of us, we would resonate with the fact that it's a struggle sometimes to keep the fire burning in our faith. But that's what we're doing this, this, this year. That's what we're trying to do. This passage specifically is about instruction in the Old Testament about keeping the burnt offering fire going. The priests, the group of Levites, they would have the responsibility to keep the literal fire, which was also a symbolic fire, of the fire that would keep the people of God clean before God. They had to keep that fire burning day and night. You know the song, day and night, night and day. That's what's going on here. All day, every day, you gotta keep it going. Don't you know that was a lot of work? 24 seven, tending the fire. It's a lot of chopping wood, keeping the firewood stacked up so the fire would never go out. It was an all day, all, day, all night, all the time thing. Keeping the fire burning was like also a communal thing. It wasn't one priest. It was the whole group of priests. It was their families. They kept it going all the time. And how many know that today we are called priests? There's a scripture in 1 Peter says that we are a royal priesthood. We now have access and responsibility that the priests of the Old Testament had. You and me, we're priests. So guess what? We, everyone say we. We have to keep the fire burning. It's an us thing. It's, an, it's, it's a communal thing. We are the ones that got to do it. Not literal wood of hickory and cedar, but one that we still have to tend all the same. We have to tend it through prayer and passion and surrender. Because remember, we are declaring 2023 is all for him. At the beginning of the year, if you're with us, we said, hey, we want to, what, if, what would it be like if we surrender a year to God? What would happen? And this is the year where we are declaring no more flame outs, burn outs, tap outs, or cast outs. There's no more outs. We're all leaning in. Right? That's what we're doing together. Because we want, to, we want to see this fire get bigger and hotter and brighter. Because here's the thing, we want to be hot for Jesus. <laughs> As husbands, you say that to your wife today. You look hot for Jesus. Single people, it's a pickup line. We can be hot for Jesus together. In the name of Jesus, it will work. 
<laughs> Today we are beginning a new teaching series, and we're calling it Revival Hope, Keep the Fire Burning. Revival Hope, Keep the Fire Burning. Everyone say Revival Hope. I love it, I love it, I love it. I'm excited. We, for the next couple months, are going to be leaning into this conversation and really uniting around the hope for God to do a work of refreshing, renewal, and revival. It's something we've been praying for many, many years. We believe this word revival is a big word. It's one that has a lot of significance loaded with it. As a church, we have been actively praying for God's spirit to be poured out, not only in this church, but on our city and in our days, in our culture, right? We believe that God's power and his spirit, when it comes, it works like a mighty tidal wave. I want you to imagine like this powerful, beautiful wave coming. And as believers, we have two options. One, we cannot be paying attention and that wave will hit us in the back. It'll disorient us, it'll throw us for a loop. Or we can be looking for it. And when we're looking for it, you know what? We see that wave coming and we're like, man, get me aboard because I'm about to ride that wave. We get to ride the wave of God's glory, of God's glory, and we get to enjoy God's spirit being poured out. He's not only, God's, God's spirit and his, his pouring out is not only a wave, but it is also a fire. Hebrews says that God is a consuming fire. And when I say that, the world's fires, you know what they do? They burn, they consume, they destroy. But the Lord's fire, it refines and purifies. So we are saying, Lord, send your fire. Revival fire, fall on us. We want you to refine us and purify us in Jesus' name. So as we're headed, we are praying and we are contending and we are tending the fire. And we are saying in hope, Jesus, you are our only hope. Jesus, we continue to put our hope in you. you. Guess what? Our hope remains in Christ. Our hope remains. It can't drift. It's got to remain in him. Eternal hope is in Christ, but immediate hope is in him too. To heal, to cast out, to raise up, to give new life. It all comes from Jesus. So our revival hope is in Christ today. And so I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to get into this. You guys ready to go? Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that as we begin this new teaching series, that, Lord, it is, it's yours. We just declare it's yours, that you've got a plan for it, that, Father, you want to do a great work in our church, in our lives. And so, Father, I pray for each and every person in this room. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you touch their heart? Would you touch their life in a way that says, Lord, they can sense, they can sense that you're doing something new in them. So, Lord, your new work, would it spring up today? Even for those of us who think, you know, you've already been at work, Lord, we give it to you again. We ask you to keep working keep moving. We pray for this word that we're about to give out of your scriptures. May you use it in a powerful way. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right. You can open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to be in that for a little bit today. Uh, I want to give you just a brief overview of where we're going. First, uh, this new teaching series, what we're going to be doing for a number of months, I, I say that I don't know exactly when we're going to end, probably sometime a little before Christmas or something like that. But we're going to be teaching uh, from the Old Testament, I think, every week. Um, and we're going to be looking at stories, epic stories that we read in the scriptures about stories of revival and renewal that happen. And really stories about how God works through people that, when they exercise faith, and even works when people who struggle in their faith. Because the Old Testament is full of those kind of stories. And how many know that we need those kind of stories to encourage us, right? We need those kind of stories to encourage us. So I believe these revival renewal stories are going to teach us a lot of things. And then, you know, a couple other things just to know about, um, you know, besides reward coming on the 24th, which we're very excited about, 
uh, October 1st, we're going to be starting 100 hours of prayer for the month of October. And so we're leaning into prayer again. And here's what we're going to do. We're trying to log 100 hours of prayer in our prayer room. We're trying to unite around prayer. Now, you can pray before October. I hope you do. But that's going to be our united sort of call to pray together because we believe everything, be- everything ends and begins with Right, prayer is the pathway to God's presence, the doorway to his power. So we're going to be doing that. All right, 1 Samuel 14. Now, God has used this particular story from the Bible in a number of times in my life personally. Uh, It's one of those stories that I'm sure you guys have had them too, where God has used it to teach me, to inspire me, to give me courage, to give me hope. Time and time again, I come back to this story. 1 Samuel 14 takes place when a man named Saul is the king of the nation of Israel. He's actually the first king of the nation of Israel, and a man named Samuel is actually the prophet during that time. Now, I thought it may be helpful to give you a little bit of a timeline so you know when this is going on. So I'm going to give you a brief biblical timeline, right? So we got, if we go all the way back to the Genesis days, the beginning days, these are the days, of course, of, uh, you know, of Adam and Eve, of Noah, of people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then you move forward a little bit later, Get to the Moses days. These are the Moses days, of course, where let my people go, that kind of stuff. You get, you get, of course, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, if you're looking at the Bible. Now, the Bible's not in chronological order, but there are parts of it that it sort of can get you there. Then we move into days of biblical history called the days of the judges. During these days, God would appoint judges over the people of Israel. Now, these could be different types of people. Sometimes they were warriors. Sometimes they were like seers. And Samuel was unique because he was the final judge in Israel's history, but he was also the first prophet. And so you get into the days of the kings and the prophets. And the first king was a guy named Saul. Then you have David, man after God's own heart. Then you have Solomon. Then you have all these other kings with the last three letters, Achaia or whatever, right? So uh, you have all these kings, right? But also during that time was the days of the prophets. The prophets rised up. And, and were part of the way God was working. That's where you'd hear stories like Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Jonah and Isaiah and others. All the way up to the Jesus days, right? These are the days of Jesus. And those were the days when everything changed about everything, right? And eventually, all the way down here, we have the days of our lives, right? We have these days that we're living in right now. And this story in 1 Samuel 14, of course, happens right after we switch over into what's called the days of the kings and the prophets. It's right at the beginning in 1 Samuel. And both the books of Samuel are in those days. And if you really look at that, the reason I show you this is that everything in history is pointing to something, isn't it? Everything in history is funneling towards, the Old Testament is funneling towards Jesus. And everything about where we are right now is pointing back to Jesus and what he did, and it's pointing ahead to what he's going to do. And so everything in the story of the Bible, it centers around Jesus and God sending his son for you and me. But I think it is helpful just to have a little bit of orientation about where we are in the Bible. So we're in 1 Samuel 14, right at the days, in the beginning days of the kings and the prophets. So here we go. Verse number 1, 1 Samuel 14. Later that day, Jonathan, Saul's son, so this is the son of the king, right? The son of the king. He said to his armor bearer, come, let's go. Everyone say, let's go. Mm-hmm. Let's go over to the Philistine garrison patrol on the other side of the pass. But he didn't tell his father. Meanwhile, Saul was taking it easy under the pomegranate tree at the threshing floor on the edge of a town called Gebah. So Saul 
the king is chilling under a tree while Jonathan is sneaking out of the camp to go and look and see what the enemies are up to. There are about 600 men with him. Now, that means 600 soldiers with Saul that day. Now, just so you know, just a few days earlier, this number was thousands more, but many of the men had scattered in fear of the Philistines, which was much larger and much more powerful. So, verse 3, it says, Aijah, wearing a priestly ephod, was also there. Aijah was the son of Aatub, brother of Ichabod, son of Phinehas. Phinehas was the brother of Ferb, and they were amazing kinadventers. <laughs> Those of you not laughing, I'm sorry, a Disney Channel joke. I have a little bit left on the shelf life for that joke. Um, who was the son of Eli, the priest of God at Shiloh? No one there knew that Jonathan had gone off. The pass that Jonathan was planning to cross over to the Philistine garrison was flanked on either side by sharp, sharp rock outcroppings, cliffs named Bozes and Sina. The cliff to the north faced McMash, delicious, right? And the cliff to the south faced Gabah. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come, let's go. Everyone say, let's go. He said it again. Let's go across to these uncircumcised pagans, which I'm like, that's kind of personal, Jonathan. But perhaps God will work on our behalf. Perhaps God will work on our behalf. Ryan Moore, do you remember giving this sermon? He gave this sermon so many years ago, and I've never forgot it. He zeroed in on this line, right? Can you imagine? He said, they put everything in. They went all in on the power of perhaps. Mm, so good. Good message, bro. There's no rule that says God can only deliver by using a big army. No one can stop God from saving when he sets his mind to it. Don't you love that? No one can stop God from saving. Usually that sort of language is like reserved for getting your way, right? No one can stop me from getting what I want. No one's going no to get in the way of me getting the justice we deserve or the, the revenge I want or to get my money back, right? Usually it's reserved for for us trying to bring defeat, but this time it's about saving. Nothing can stop God from saving. I love it, I love it, I love it, right? So in the same moment, think about this, in the same moment you have Jonathan and his armor bearer who are stepping into the power of perhaps. Perhaps God will act on our behalf. And in the same moment, we have the king, Saul, taking it easy under the pomegranate tree. We have what we could call a narrative contrast, don't we? We have the same moment, but one seems to seize the divine moment while the other lets that moment slip through their fingers. As king, Saul had all authority, meaning all military, political, even spiritual authority to go to war. He, was, he, he just had to say the word and those 600 men would have jumped into action, went to battle. Now, that little genealogy that I read you about, you know, Phineas and Ferb, that was actually really important because what that indicates and what that shows us is it reveals that the priests of God were there with Saul, which means that a thing called the Ark of the Covenant was there. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, in case you don't know, I have a little picture, a little artist rendering. The Ark of the Covenant was only carried by the priests. And the Ark of the Covenant, most of you probably know this if you know much about Old Testament history, is really what represented God's presence, and God's presence was with them in the Ark. In the Ark, they stored like the tablets of Moses' Ten Commandments, 
And if you do much reading, you will read about the ark and its role with the Israelites. And ultimately, not only as we see it as God's presence, but in, a, in, in the circumstance of a battle, it, it, it guaranteed victory. Every time the ark was present, Israel won. Every time. Imagine like LeBron James playing a bunch of third graders. Like, and trying to beat them. Dunking on them. <laughs> blocking every shot. I mean, it'd be ugly, right? Like, the Ark of the Covenant was like LeBron James mopping the floor with a bunch of third graders. That's what was going on. It was complete annihilation. So Saul has the Ark with him. He had no reason to be afraid of the battle. But here's the situation of that day. Saul had ticked off the Philistines a little bit, and they had surrounded him and cut off their supply lines. Sounds familiar, right? Supply chain issues are not new, <laughs> right? And Israel's army had began to scatter, and somehow their weapons had been reduced down to two swords. Saul had one sword. Jonathan had the other. And the other 600 men were fighting literally with pitchforks and rocks, right? And the scriptures say that the Philistine army was as numerous as the sand on the seashore, which is probably a bit of an exaggeration, but we'll go with it. A lot of people, right? A lot of men, a lot of soldiers. So the logical assessment in this moment is that the situation favored the Philistines. So on one hand, it makes so much sense that Saul decided to stay and hang out under the pomegranate tree. But on the other hand, the Ark of the Covenant is sitting right there. He has the presence of God with him. He could have trusted God in this moment, but apparently he didn't. And it's like this moment, you can just see the divine moment, right? It's slipping through his hand, and through his fingers. Years ago, I, uh, I came across <laughs> one of my favorite sermon analogies about mountains. And I know before you roll your eyes, stay with me. Um, if, been, if you've been around nine or ten years, which is a few of you, you've probably heard me talk about this one, but I love it, and I'm going to share it again today. One of, one of the most compelling things about Mount Everest is that even with all the hype and all the media surrounding uh, these climbers who brave it and, 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 and the potential loss of fingers and toes and, and worse, well, apparently even with all of that hype around Everest, there's actually only a few weeks a year, twice, two times a year, a few short weeks that people can even attempt to climb Everest. So people aren't always trying to climb Everest. It only happens a few times a year. Because the rest of the year, the wind is just way too strong. The, 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 the conditions are too brutal. The, the jet stream literally goes into the face of the mountain. So if you're on the mountain and the jet stream's hitting you, it will literally blow you off. Probably the north face, right? The north face of the mountain. And so, but every once in a while, a few short weeks, the warm monsoon air blows across the Himalayas. And the winds die down just enough to create this short window and glimmer of possibility to go and to climb Mount Everest. The climbers call this the silent beckoning of Everest. And I love it, right? The silent beckoning. The mountain quietly bidding the climbers to come. Come on, give me your best shot. Come on, let's do this. Come on, let's go. It's like Jonathan says to the armor bearer. He's like, come on, let's go, right? That's what's happening and I don't know about you, I've always thought about that little moment, that, that beckoning. And I have felt this at times in my life where I feel like God's spirit is beckoning me to come. 
it's calling me out. It's inviting me deeper. And I wonder, has anyone ever felt that before? You felt like the Lord's like, just come on, come. This imagery has helped describe many of the ways in my life that I've felt God work. Is I can't really describe it. It's almost like this silent beckoning, just inviting me to, to something beyond what I'm living. This power of perhaps inviting you deeper into your faith, not only into the relationship with you, but bidding you to come, to get off high center with who you are and who God's created you to be. A silent beckoning and the spirit inviting you to come, telling you that there's more to life with him. I remember feeling this sort of beckoning, of course, when we planted this church, not quite knowing what it would mean 10 years ago, feeling this beckoning. But it's not always about these huge life-shaping decisions. Sometimes it's just about, like I've felt it this year. Like this year alone, just like the Spirit inviting not just me, but us to come, to trust Him, to surrender to Him. Like it's just this still small voice just continuing to whisper, don't give up. Keep the fire burning. Don't get tired. Trust me. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Don't check out. Don't tap out. This is beckoning. Just, just keep going. When we listen for God, when we seek him, he always speaks. He always invites us to come. We know the story when Jesus is on the boat and Peter's there and he says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. Jesus, of course, says, it is me. Come out onto the water with me. And Peter steps out of the boat and into a miracle. And, and some of the steps we take, some of the bidding that he gives us, it is stepping into the miraculous. But sometimes the miraculous isn't quite as miraculous. It's just as simple as faithfulness to say, you know what? God's called me. He's called me to pray, and I'm not going to quit praying. He's called me to trust him. And even though it's hard, I'm going to keep trusting him. I'm not going to turn away. I'm just going to keep Stepping where he calls me to step. There are times that he calls us and we interpret it as a guilt trip, but it's not. The Spirit never gives guilt trips. God never whispers, You're not good enough, you failed, quit trying. The Spirit never says, Shape up or ship out. The spirit beckoning is always an invitation to come. A moment where we have the opportunity, opportunity to grab a hold of the power of perhaps. It's a divine moment. It's a hope for revival. I recall, I, recall, uh, I was thinking about this this week. I recall one of the um, first time I talked about silent beckoning, I had... Sabrina Mackey, she's probably in here somewhere, uh, come to me, and she was all excited about what God was speaking to her. And you could just see, like, the conviction coming on her life. And, and she said, I think God's calling me to, like, leave my career and to, like, go and become a nurse. And I think God's going to use me as a nurse. And I remember her, her in so many words saying, I feel like God is, is bidding me to come and to do this. And it was a pretty big deal because she had to, like, quit her job and go to school full time. And it was, like, an all-in surrender thing where her full, whole family had to trust God with this process. And and she's been working as a number of years now as a nurse, feeling, you know, the, that, that 
the, the wave of God's spirit coming to fruition in her life. And I think of stories like that, or I think of the many people in our church who have felt led to foster care or to adopt. Moms like Jesse Brower and Liz Fowler, who, who fostered then adopted their children. I mean, that's a divine calling, right? That's, that's something that you don't do on your own. God calls you to it. Or even the story that's unfolding with Josh and Hannah and their adoption, which you'll get to hear more soon. I'm so excited for them. You get, there's, there's these moments where God calls us. And it's not just one moment or only the biggest moments of our life. But God does it again and again. And we're invited time and time again. And like the prophet Isaiah, when he says, here I am, Lord, send me. We get to just say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, use me. Here I am, Lord, I want to be faithful to you. But we are not always ready for those moments, are we? I already, I already said, it's, not, it's, it's difficult to keep the fire burning. We aren't always ready. I've had many times that I chose to do what Saul did. To find the shade of the tree. And just say, you know what? I think it's okay for me to just take a step back. Listen, revivals don't happen when we withdraw. Revivals happen when we respond. Saul had been given authority and assurance by God to enter the battle. Saul had the Ark of the Covenant with him. God was with him, right? So what happened? Why was Saul withdrawing? Well, I didn't read this part of the story, but in the previous chapter... 1 Samuel 13, we learn that Saul had failed and been disobedient to God and his command. Saul was supposed to wait on Samuel, the prophet of God, to show up so that Samuel could make offerings and sacrifices to the Lord before the battle. But Saul was growing fearful because the, the Philistine army was coming in on them, cutting off their supply chain, right? He had no weapons. His soldiers were fleeing by the hundreds. And he grew fearful. So he did not want to wait on Samuel, who was taking a little longer than he wanted. And so when he had it, and he took things into his own hands, and he himself made the offerings and the sacrifices. And this was against God's law. Now, before you really kind of say, well, that's a little different, let me just ask you a question. Anyone ever tried to get ahead of God's plan? Anyone ever struggle to be patient and wait on the Lord? This is where Saul was. He was growing fearful, impatient, and in essence, prideful. I can take care of this. Only a priest could perform the miracle, or excuse me, perform the sacrifice. And Saul did something that he knew that he wasn't allowed to do. And so when Samuel shows up, he's kind of shocked as what happened. He rebukes him. And this is the beginning of the undoing of Saul as king, if you know much about his story. So the next day... He's clearly reeling from his failure, right? He's got no weaponry. His tiny army is vastly outnumbered. His pet's heads are falling off, for crying out loud. <laughs> so he sits under the tree because he's afraid. Fear can be a paralyzing place. And what's odd about fear is often... We aren't even aware that we're afraid because it subtly and quietly lulls us to sleep. You see, fear is often the silent killer of the gospel. The spirit silently beckons us and fear silently kills us. That's what happens. Because it subtly stops us under a tree 
or it takes us down a different path or lets us withdraw just a little bit, causes us to make excuses all in the name of a fear that lies under the surface. So what happens is this invitation, come, let's go, right? Let's build this fire stronger, hotter, bigger. The invitation to trust him with the money that you have or that you don't have, right? To trust God with your child or to even give God your future. These moments are often thwarted by our own fear or our fear of failing again. And this happens so much in our spiritual life. We have not lived up to who we thought we ought to be. We feel like we've disappointed God even though he's never disappointed in us. We feel like we've failed God even though that's impossible because he's done all things for us to make us victorious in Christ. But nonetheless, the enemy tells us we aren't worthy of it. And so what we do in those moments is we say, I don't want to fail again. So we withdraw and we sit under the tree. And we don't grab a hold of the divine moments God has in front of us because we miss the one in the past. I've heard so many people live under a shame of regret that they weren't faithful to something in their past. Listen, I'm telling you, your past, I get it, it matters, I get it, we all wish we had a perfect past, but none of us do. And God is saying, I'm not, I'm not coming to you trying to rebuke you of your past, I'm coming to you beckoning you, beckoning you into your future. Just because you've grown cold spiritually, which might be someone in the room, just because you feel like you've failed God, it doesn't mean you can't start throwing logs on the fire again. Perhaps God will act on your behalf. Let's go back to this story. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. Is this talking to anybody? Good. Seven of us. Jonathan. <laughs> Verse 6, we read this already, but I'm going to read it again. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go. Everyone say, let's go. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Over to the outposts of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. There is no rule that says God can only deliver by using a big army. No one can stop God from saving when he sets his mind to it. Verse 7, do, you all, or do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Now, we could do a whole message about the armor bearer because this guy is legit. Like, he's amazing. He's in with them all heart and soul. That's an amazing picture of being all heart and soul with another person, especially when you don't have a sword and all you have is a rock, right? Jonathan said, come on then. We'll cross over toward them and let them see us. I want you to really follow his plan here because it's, (laughs) well, I'll just let you follow it. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we'll stay. We will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. I mean, wow, right? This is the plan. Let's see what they say, and then we'll do that. (laughs) Verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan, his armor bearer. Come up here to us, and we'll teach you a lesson. (laughs) That's how Philistines talk. Famous last words right there. We're going to teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our hands. The plan is working, right? Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet, which can we just stop and pause and appreciate this detail? I've been trying to figure out what else he would climb up with. (laughs) Elbows and knees. I don't know. But thank you, Samuel, right? With his armor bearer right behind him, on his hands and his feet probably. 
The, the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer. He followed and killed behind him. Now, this is where it gets brutal, right? In that first attack, Jonathan is an armor bearer, killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. To which I just say, dang. Thank the Lord that Jesus came and we don't have to do like ancient hunger games anymore. Right? That's some good news. Now, Jonathan, he did not have the authority, the position, or the title that Saul had. But what he did have was the urgency to see God's purposes come into reality. So this moment, we see two people, right? One of them missed their divine moment, and the other one stepped into it. And it's a bit grieving to think about how many of us are missing the moment. Jonathan told his armor bearer, come, let's go. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Jonathan didn't know the outcome, did he? He didn't know what was going to happen. And by the way, Jonathan's plan was absolutely horrible. It was a bad plan. Has any one of you ever had a horrible plan that somehow God still used it? Anyone ever been like, I don't even know how it happened, but God did it? It was a bad idea. When we started OKC Community Church, I'm just telling you by the world standard, our plan was terrible. It was bad. We didn't raise any money. We didn't recruit anyone. We didn't even have a band. You can't start a church without a band. We didn't, we didn't have donuts for like three or four months. Like, it was a bad idea. We didn't recruit a person. Like, it was like all we said was this. Hey, let's just tell our story to some of our friends and see what happens. It was a bad plan, but a beautiful one all the time, at the same time, isn't it? Sometimes God works through the most illogical, illogical plans ever. Some of you have stories where God has moved through the craziest, most unimaginable ways. And that's the way it goes. God's plan is never the safest or easiest or most logical. His plan is always a mystery. But that's what a faithful life will look like. Jonathan knew what he was supposed to do, and so he went and did it. It may not seem like much, but there's two words that separate Jonathan from Saul. And you probably figured them out, but those two words that separate Jonathan from Saul and Jonathan from most of us, I'll throw them on the screen, are just simply, let's go. Let's go. He said to his armor bearer twice, come, let's go. Sometimes that comes in the form of a moment of courage, I get it. Sometimes it comes in a decision that will change your life. And sometimes it just comes by just saying, you know what, I'm going to keep going. One step after the other, I'm not going to quit praying. I'm not going to quit putting my trust in the Lord. When I grow cold, I'm going to go get some firewood and put, the fire, put it back on the fire. I'm going to get going again. You know, we began 2023, as I said, with a prayer and a declaration that said, Lord, this year's for you. 2023 is all for you. We surrender it to you, whatever you want to do, Lord. And I'm just here today that week one of Revival Hope, it's not really a new call, but it is a call once again to remind you of that prayer and declaration. And I am saying to you as your friend today, come, let's go. Let's keep the fire burning, friends. Let's go after it. God has more in store 
for you and for me. And it's gonna start with a bunch of people who say, you know what? I'm going all in. I'm not gonna let this moment pass or slip through my fingers. Maybe you showed up here for the first time today. You're all in, you're with us. You don't have to warm up. Like it's like jump in, the, jump in with us, let's go. Let's go after it. God has you here for a reason. And here's what we're gonna do today. Here's how I'm gonna close. We have some cards up here. They're up here on the front of the stage, but they're also in the back of the balcony up there. And on this card, it just says, uh, let's go. You can throw that up there. Let's go. And <clears throat> instead of me just putting these, we often, if we have cards, we put them on everybody's chair. And today I was like, you know what? This is, this is a statement of movement. And if, and if someone's like, I'm in, I feel like the Lord's bidding me to come, like, well, come. Let's go. Come and grab a card today. But even in that act of faithfulness to step out and step up, there's something real about it. And I would say this too, on the back of that card, it just has three things that we're saying, hey, maybe if you put this up on your fridge for the next couple months or put it in your car or in your Bible or wherever you're gonna see it frequently, it'll be a reminder to do these things. And the first one is pray because everything begins and ends with prayer. And we would just say, pray for a move of God's spirit the fire of God in your life and in our church. Secondly, we would say, come. We don't say this often here, but we probably should say it more. But like, come to church. Be in community. And be consistent about it. One of the things out of the pandemic, and I'm just going to be really real. One of the things about out of the pandemic that's happened is church attendance has become more erratic than it's ever been before. Maybe not for you, but culturally speaking. And so for some of you, you just need to hear, you need to come and be consistent because that is this act of keeping the fire burning in your life. It's, one, it's, it's an essential ingredient into God's, the heat source of God's presence in his people being consistently in your life. And then number three, let's go. <laughs> Courageously go where God leads you. Meaning grab a hold of the divine moments and decisions. I'm believing, I really am believing that even in the next four months between now and the end of the year, there are gonna be some divine moments and decisions that many of us in this room are gonna be making. And you're gonna to have to grab a hold of them. So I'm almost prophetically saying to you, be ready for these decision moments that are gonna be coming. And when it comes, you just remember this, ah, let's go. It's time, let's do it. Don't be afraid. Don't withdraw under the shade of the tree. Don't say, oh, the numbers don't add up. They never add up. 600 against the sand of the seashore. It never adds up. Two swords against thousands and thousands of swords. It never adds up. But when it's God, it's like you have the Ark of the Covenant with you. It's mopping up the floor with a bunch of third graders and you're LeBron James. You know what I'm saying? Like with God, all things are possible. I'm not trying to motivate or inspire. That's why I'm not, I'm not yelling. I'm just speaking truth that we have to hear. We have to hear this stuff. Because we often, we just sink back into withdrawing into who the enemy wants us to be instead of stepping in to who God wants us to be. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to worship a little bit. And these cards are up here. And when you're ready, you can come get one during the song. And if you're like, you know what, there's just too many people and I have like social anxiety. Okay, you can wait till after the service. You're still going to make that step. And you're going to come get your card. And if you're in the balcony, they're up in the table in the back of the, at the back of the stairs. 
And our prayer team's still going to be here too. They're going to be on the sides. So if you want prayer today, just step over to the side. They'd love to pray with you. Maybe God's already, already provoking something in you. He's bidding you to come and you need to pray. Would you stand with me as we pray? As we close this time? Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Invite, in fact, right now, just get in your mind. Holy Spirit, would you come? Say it, to your, say it to him even in your own words. Holy Spirit, would you come? Move in my life. I'm open to receive what you have for me today. And here's how I'd like to invite you to respond. If you, if you even in this, in this moment today, are feeling like, yeah, the Holy Spirit is just encouraging me right now, inviting me to more, pushing me out of, from underneath that tree, if today you feel like you need to get back to tending the fire, if that's you, would you just, I'm just going to pray for us. Would you just lift your hand? Lift your hand. If you're like, I just need to get back. I want to tend that fire well. I want to be faithful. I want to step into what he has for me. Just lift your hand real quick. Go ahead, Father. Let's pray for every person lifting their hand right now. We just want to be faithful to you. We want to trust in you. Even when it's hard and even when it doesn't make sense and even when the numbers don't add up, Father, we want to grab a hold of the power of perhaps today. Perhaps you're going to work on our behalf in the name of Jesus. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. This altar's open. These cards are here. Our prayer team is here. We're going to sing. We're going to respond to this word together. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.